1: members get early access to most videos and get to participate in monthly zoom hangouts with mike here's the biggest stories we talked about this week on the humanist report enjoy the show
2: in order to make america great and glorious again i am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the united states
3: The twice impeached coup plotting former president of the United States who stole classified documents from the White House and who's currently under multiple investigations and potentially facing indictment. And most notably, was an extra in the hit 1992 film Home Alone 2 announced that he is running for president again. And I for one love that the slogan this time presumably is Magaga. Beautiful. Run with that, Trump, please. Now, if you missed his announcement speech, well, you didn't miss much. It was 70 minutes long and he just droned on and on and on in Trumpian fashion, albeit with much less energy than usual.
2: We will immediately tackle inflation and bring down to a level that it was, you know, we were at zero, but actually the best number is 1%. Do you know that? We're going to be asking everyone who sells drugs, gets caught selling drugs, to receive the death penalty for their heinous acts, because it's the only way. And I'm a victim, I will tell you. I'm a victim. Think of it.
3: Uh- mm hmm. Now, if you feel exhausted watching that, just hearing Donald Trump triggers something in my brain that makes me just feel nothing but dread and distraught. But regardless, his supporters were very amped up and hyped anticipating his announcement. And outside of Trump Tower in New York, they had a very strong message for Ron DeSantis, potential rival to Donald Trump.
4: USA! USA! <laughs> This is very disrespectful in the Arab states.
1: Ron, Ron, Ron has got two big no, for He's out. He, he has plenty of time to gain wisdom. Trump or death. Let, well, let him stay in Florida for a while. Remember when they did the, the Saddam Hussein the right, statue right, came right, that's down? That's right, yes. Remember when the Saddam statue came down? Hey, like me, my father used to say to me, he used to say, hold on, he used to say, Son, I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Everything, Woo! everything. They're taking has hats. Hat. Everything he's got goes to, to Trump. It's Trump or death. But I want to Trump give a message. I want to send a message. You think Nancy Pelosi might watch this? Well, Nancy, your reign of terror is almost over, and I hope you realize there's no ice cream in hell. And your husband's a cruiser. He cruises for rough trade on Castro this Street. This is
2: Ed, The Santa
1: Claus. Put him on a short leash.
3: I don't know about you, but to me they sound like perfectly stable and reasonable people. Um, now, even though Trump supporters were trolling DeSantis, well, DeSantis' supporters were also trolling Donald Trump at the same time. Specifically by flying a DeSantis 2024 flag banner over Mar-a-Lago and when you see that Laura Loomer is also turning against Marjorie Taylor Greene, calling her a traitor to the America First movement and when you see non-stop shut on shut violence I think it's safe to say that the great GOP war of 2024 has officially kicked off. Now to me I think that the best case scenario here for America anyways is Trump gets challenged by DeSantis, DeSantis beats Donald Trump thus leading to Donald Trump crying fraud and since he was wronged, since the election was very unfair and rigged, he runs as an independent, thus splitting the votes between the GOP base and paving the door to the Democrat winning winning in 2024. That, to me, would be the best case scenario and the most funny scenario, the most funny outcome of Trump announcing that he's running for president. And look, I don't want to throw too much doubt into Donald Trump's potential chance of success here, because back in 2016, I think everyone doubted him and they were proven wrong, although things are definitely different now, regardless if he still does have a fairly good shot at winning the GOP nomination. Uh, For example, Ivanka Trump announced that she's dipping out this time, writing on Instagram, I love my father very much. This time around, I am choosing to prioritize my young children and the private life we are creating as a family. I do not plan to be involved in politics. While I will always love and support my father going forward, I will do so outside the political arena. I'm grateful to have had the honor of serving the American people, and I will always be proud of many of our administration's accomplishments. And she's not only dipping out in round two, but she didn't even attend his big announcement ceremony, which is probably a smart decision, considering that it was so boring that there are people who are trying to leave, but security wouldn't let them leave.
1: I actually saw people trying to leave, um, and, and people leaving early, even before he was done. He's still speaking now, uh, and, and then they. I think perhaps a little concerned that the the hall would empty out too much. They actually started preventing people from leaving, so now they're no longer allowing people to leave.
3: And look, it's not like droves of people wanted to leave, it's not like the arena was being cleared out, but there was enough people that wanted to leave to where it was pretty noticeable. Now take a look at the people who wanted to leave and the response that they got from security.
2: Help is on the way. Joe Biden is abolished America's borders. We are going to restore and secure America's borders, just like we had it before, best ever. We built the wall, and now we will add to it. Now
3: we built the wall. We completed. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but even Trump himself sounded bored. We built the wall. We completed the wall. Like he just sounds, not like himself. I think that. In 2016, there was a lot of optimism there. He was trying it out. He thought it would be a new opportunity, but now he has a lot more enemies, a lot more working against him, a lot of legal issues that could potentially throw a wrench in his presidential run. So he just kind of sounds deflated. And I mean, if you're going to drone on for 70 minutes, of course, people are going to get bored, but they should have known. And listen, it's not just people at the event that were kind of turned off by Donald Trump, but even conservatives across the internet don't really seem that enthusiastic. They seem pretty ambivalent, to be honest. And I want to share this tweet from Dave's New World, who highlights some of the responses from the conservative subreddit. And they weren't too thrilled about Trump's announcement overall, with one user saying, I feel like he's holding us all at gunpoint. You have others saying, He's going to be the Hillary Clinton of the Republican Party in 2024, isn't he? I bet he threatens to run third party if DeSantis wins primaries, which would guarantee a Democrat president. Another says Trump announces he will lose us the 2024 election and hand a supermajority over to the Democrats. This user says just a few months ago, everyone here was riding the Trump train. How things can change. And that's not to say that everyone in that particular thread on our conservative uh, was not excited about Trump running. But the people who were kind of ambivalent and disappointed about the fact that he was running, those were the posts that got the most upvotes. Now, sure, those are kind of just like standard conservatives, right? They can be anti-Trump, but certainly his most loyal sycophants, i.e. the QAnon people, they're going to be thrilled, are they not? Well, the influencers are thrilled, but rank-and-file QAnon members, they're not actually happy about Trump announcing that he's running for president again. As Vice News' David Gilbert explains, QAnon is not very happy with Trump's 2024 announcement. And even though many influencers within the Q cult were thrilled, especially considering the fact that Trump invited them to this announcement and even made references to their conspiracies, well, just normal QAnoners on Telegram were talking about how disappointed they were. Here's what some of them said does he seriously think there will be anyone left to vote in two years or better yet that our country will even be viable we will not make it two more years this is a flippin joke I don't know about you guys but I'm pissed the storm is coming in two years one member of a popular QAnon forum wrote on telegram after Trump's speech patriots aren't in control of anything the cabal is another rote others were even less conciliatory I'm fucking done with this political shit show and will never vote again fuck politics and the Nazi regime one Telegram user wrote. Some influencers tried to quell the concern, but after QAnon John suggested in a post that Trump's abandoning of the 2020 election denier claims was all part of the plan, one Telegram user responded, Trump pissed off a lot of people tonight. Never thought my loyalty would be challenged by the Democrats, but instead from Trump himself. We will not wait until 2024. Trump conceded tonight. It's over. Trump being one of them seems much more plausible now. When one major QAnon group posted a message suggesting that Trump had prevented election fraud in 2016 when he was first voted into office and would do so again in 2024, a follower of the group angrily replied, if they could have stopped the fraud, why didn't he in 2020 or 2022 stop it? Now, I don't want to give you this false impression that most QAnon cultists are angry that Trump is announcing that he's running for president again. I think that probably most of them were happy by this. But there's a lot of Q cultists who are angry because the prophecy was that Trump at some point during biden's presidency would take back the reins of power but he's not doing that and he's effectively conceding and he's just gonna run in 2024 which they are not happy about so to see qanon trump sycophants say we're not really happy about this run it tells you that things are different this time around again i don't want to make it seem as if i'm confidently predicting that trump will lose this nomination Uh, i i think that it's entirely possible that he wins however Things are different. The enthusiasm is much less this time around. And some of his most loyal supporters are turning against him. And now we're seeing the beginning of a GOP civil war. And I say bring it on the more that they fight, the more that they desecrate Ron DeSantis flags, the better that is for the United States of America, the better that is for democracy. So even if I'm a little bit exhausted with Donald Trump and I certainly have uh, Trump fatigue, I think that it's good that he's announcing this run again, especially before Herschel Walker's race, because hopefully he he could tank Herschel Walker and take the focus off of Herschel Walker. And I hope that this leads to a GOP civil war because that's good for America. So uh, yeah, grab your popcorn folks because the shit show has only just begun. Magaga. I am pleased to announce that one of the most frightening unhinged Republicans, went down in flames and by now you all know who i'm talking about of course Carrie lake was defeated by democrat katie hobbs in arizona's gubernatorial race 50.37 percent to 49.63 percent so it was very close but close or not she lost and she will not be the next governor of arizona now of course she is conspiracy mongering about the election even if other republican election deniers like doug maestriano tudor dixon and others are conceding and they're not crying fraud. Carrie Lake is doing just that because, again, she's one of the biggest unhinged mega chuds that we've seen in quite some time. And what's funny is that in her, I don't want to say concession tweet, but her implicit uh Acknowledgement, I guess, that she lost. She teed up an attack for everyone. That is just too good to be true. So she tweeted this out. Arizonans know BS when they see it. Now, I don't have to explain this, right? She is saying that her results are BS and she definitely won and it was stolen from her. But the way that she worded it, it just it makes it so easy to dunk on her. And Twitter ruthlessly mocked her for that particular tweet. So I want to share just a couple of examples that were my favorites. Monica Lewinsky tweeted, probably the most astute thing she has said. Tim O'Brien writes at least 50.4% of Arizonans new. Philip Gorovich writes perfect concession, self-aware and concise. Eric Cohn says self-ownership perfected. Aaron Rupar writes, true, I think the election results confirmed this. Kyle Kalinske writes, she's denying the results of the election, but worded it in a way where she sounds like she's calling herself a bullshit artist. Brian Tyler Cohen says, a rare moment of self-awareness here. Benjamin Dixon writes, that's why they voted against you. I mean, it's just so perfect. So what a wonderful way for her to go out. And I don't necessarily know if we've seen the last of her, but I certainly hope that, um she goes away now i do want to cut to a political autopsy by nbc news reporter von hilliard so he followed carrie lake's campaign for a year for over a year like a year and a half i want to say and he is going to explain why she lost and i think that His political analysis and the reasons that he gives as to why she lost, it speaks to a broader trend on the right in American politics that I do want to explore a little bit. But without further ado, let's listen to what he has to say as he kind of dances on her grave after she put him through hell, called him a bastard, just like went after him. And now he gets to explain why she lost. Enjoy.
4: I covered Carrie Lake for the better part of the last year and a half here. And I think it was perhaps fitting to be here across from Mar-a-Lago today. I finally flew yesterday from Arizona here. And essentially though, I felt like it was covering Donald Trump's campaign of 2024, but in Arizona over the last year, she predicated her campaign on trying to sell the big lie and trying to sell the conspiracy theories. When she wonders how she lost this race, look at it. This is the third election cycle in a row in which Arizonans reject Trumpism. In the final week of her campaign, who did she campaign alongside? She campaigned alongside Steve Bannon. She campaigned alongside one of the chief promoters of Pizzagate. She campaigned alongside an individual who promoted the notion of the war on white people. She campaigned alongside state Senator Wendy Rogers, who just earlier this year was here in Florida speaking at a white nationalist conference, somebody who frequently spews anti-Semitism. This is an individual who just last week called her Democratic opponent a pervert. This is an individual who suggested there should be perp walks for elections officials, criminal charges against individuals who oversaw COVID response in 2020 in Arizona. This is an individual who's celebrating putting a dagger into the, quote, the McCain machine. She asserted that Cindy McCain wants to end America. She called Mike Lindell one of the great patriots of our time. She said Dinesh D'Souza is one of the greatest patriots in America. She suggested Paul Gosar was the kind of lawmaker our founding fathers envisioned. She called the media the right hand of the devil, the scourge of the earth. that doesn't sound like Donald Trump. I don't know what does. And ultimately, the big question was, was she going to be able to make that sell here? And the answer is no, according to Arizona voters. And when you look at that slate of election deniers from Tudor Dixon to Tim Michaels, uh, to uh, Jim Marchand to Nevada, to Mark Fincham, she was the latest one to fall, essentially making it a clean sweep of those not only Ryan. election deniers, gubernatorial candidates and secretary of state candidates. And now Donald Trump Ryan. is going to go and try to run on the very message that all these folks lost on.
3: So Carrie Lake was the MAGAist MAGA chud of all MAGA chuds and she lost. Now it might have been narrow, but again, she still lost. And I think that that matters, right? She even said something to the effect of um, Donald Trump is the most important man in my life. My husband is second. Like I'm paraphrasing, but she said something like that. Now, I don't think that she actually believes it, but She still said something like that. So she campaigned with Steve Bannon. She aligned with the extremists and she lost. So what does this tell us? I think that this indicates that we may be witnessing the beginning of the end of the MAGA era in American politics. And I say that not just because right wing media has sharply turned against Donald Trump, but because GOP voters are seemingly acknowledging that A lot of these losses are because of Donald Trump, because he propped up weak candidates that didn't adequately support them. And he continues to make American politics about him. And it seems like they're ready to move on. And the polls, believe it or not, are starting to reflect that. So take a look at this poll. Ron DeSantis is now polling ahead of Trump in Iowa, New Hampshire, Florida and Georgia. So the GOP base is acknowledging that Trump may not necessarily be their best bet. And they're trying to... You know, um, move on to somebody else who is less bombastic, less of a lightning rod. And Ron DeSantis is more of a standard Republican, albeit much more savvy in the ways that he is a fascist, right? I think that one article, I believe from Vox, they put it best. They said that Ron DeSantis isn't necessarily like the next heir to Trump's throne. He is paving his own path and he's bringing Orbanism to the United States, referring to Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban, who is a fascist, who did a lot of authoritarian things in Hungary and moved it to the right and essentially killed democracy. And Ron DeSantis is going to do that same thing in the United States. So one thing to look for is as the 2024 election election kicks off in the coming months, if not Soon, if Trump announces the lower level candidates, we have to watch and see what they do. Who are they going to emulate? Is it going to be Donald Trump where they're talking about the stolen election? Or is it going to be Ron DeSantis where they make culture war issues their number one priority? See, it's not like Ron DeSantis is better than Donald Trump. I think that there are a lot of things that DeSantis uh, could do that's more dangerous than Donald Trump. Donald Trump politically, when he's in office, isn't necessarily that big of a threat, at least compared to other Republicans. Right. But he is a huge threat to democracy, whereas Ron DeSantis isn't a very clear and present threat to democracy. But when he's in power, he could do a lot of damaging things to consolidate his own power. For example, as the Florida governor, I mean, he redrew maps to his liking and then he won the state handily. and Now he's bragging about that. So I think that he's much more savvy. I think he knows when to keep his mouth closed. And I think that overall, he's more dangerous than Donald Trump. But he isn't as big of an immediate danger to democracy as Donald Trump is. He's not as overt in the election denialism like Donald Trump. So it's not necessarily a better era if the GOP is moving on from Donald Trump. It's just a new era with new threats and specifically threats to the LGBTQ plus community, namely trans folks who Ron DeSantis has made public enemy number one in his state. So, you know, this certainly signals perhaps the start of a new trend. It's not guaranteed yet. Trump may still be able to pull off a dub in the GOP primary in 2024. But are we starting to see cracks form in that MAGA wall? Yeah, we are. And I think that Carrie Lake's loss gives us further evidence of this fact because she went all in. She wanted to make it seem as if she was, you know, the personification of Donald Trump and Trumpism and MAGA-chudism. And she went down. So voters are rejecting the conspiracy theories, the election denialism, and the Trumpism, at least in some states. And that's certainly something that is interesting to watch. But just because Trump is gone doesn't mean that democracy is going to live to see another day. We still have to fight because DeSantis is a threat in his own right. But either way, at least for now, I think it's worth celebrating Carrie Lake's loss because this was a big mouth unhinged buffoon. And to see her eat shit, Mm. Feels really good. I love it. Earlier this year, after redistricting in New York, we talked about how DCCC chair Sean Maloney was trying to push out a progressive by opting to run in his district, Mondaire Jones's district, instead of the 18th congressional district, which is what Sean Maloney had represented for years. So that happened. Mondaire Jones is now out. And now it turns out Sean Maloney is out as well, because even as DCCC chair, he lost the race that he pushed Mondaire Jones out of to Republican Mike Lawler in a district that Biden won by 10 10- points. So to say that this is an embarrassment would be an understatement. This is career-ending embarrassment, literally. This is never show your face in politics again. Not as a lobbyist, not as a political commentator on MSNBC. You should not be in politics at all if that just happened under your watch, under your leadership. Now, it's not just this race where he royally screwed up Democrats, because understand, Republicans at this point in time are only projected to take the House narrowly by a couple of seats. So, because of Sean Maloney's incompetence and hubris, well, he may have very well cost Democrats the House. Another is the 5th Congressional District of Oregon, where progressive Democrat Jamie McLeod Skinner ended up losing after she defeated incumbent Democrat Kurt Schrader earlier in the year. And this comes after the House Majority PAC and the DCCC, again run by Sean Maloney, abandoned this race entirely. And as Ryan Grimm points out, they abandoned this race because the DCCC thought that she was too progressive to win this particular seat. And that money was instead spent on Sean Patrick Maloney's race, where he ended up getting defeated by a Republican. But the reason why they claimed that this race was essentially a lost cause and they abandoned it, as Ryan Grimm alluded to, was they thought that she was too progressive to win that seat. But she was running against a multi-millionaire Republican, and Democrats have held this seat for a very long time, but she defeated a corporate Democrat who was essentially like Joe Manchin. And over the past couple of years, a lot of Democrats, they saw how these corporate Democrats aren't actually very good for the Democratic Party. They're saboteurs in a plethora of ways. So there was actually a lot of grassroots momentum for Jamie McLeod Skinner. It's just that she was going up against the Republican with a lot of money, but the DCCC didn't want to invest in this race. And this is another seat that they could have easily won if they just tried now the blame is squarely on individuals like sean patrick maloney who were in control of electing democrats their entire job was to elect democrats but he's not taking responsibility for these losses so after the election was over he tweeted out this picture of himself with nancy pelosi saying worth it which I don't think anyone knows what that means. Worth it that you lost this election, cost Democrats control of the House, possibly? What are you even talking about? Now, he also, on top of that, took a shot at AOC and essentially blamed her, saying, quote, the last time I ran into AOC, we were beating her endorsed candidate two to one in a primary, and I didn't see her one minute of these midterms helping our House majority. Now, first of all, let me just pause before we get to AOC's response. It is your job to get Democrats elected. You are the chair of the DCCC. That's not AOC's job. And in the event AOC tried to help Democrats win some of these tough races, well, Democrats would blame her if they lost because they're going to say, oh, well, you're too progressive, so that association is toxic, and the Republicans are just going to call the Democrat here you know, a socialist. So it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. If she doesn't help, she gets blamed. But if she does help, she gets blamed too. Now she responded to Maloney on Twitter saying... Let's make something crystal clear. Sean Patrick Maloney courted me for donations to swing races and it was the first thing I did this term. Over a quarter million for Democrats this cycle, DCCC facilitated some and now he denies it. If he isn't aware of my visit to California and efforts we put in, that's on him. Because of Democratic Party abandonment in key areas, statewide victories depended heavily on driving up numbers in progressive areas like mine and New York Working Families Party. To our knowledge, I was the only NYC House Democrat in a safe seat to run a full-throated heavy field operation for get out the vote. As for him not seeing me, perhaps it's because he, as a party leader, chose not to see nor value prominent members of his party for years. Lastly, many moderate Democrats plus leaders made it very clear that our help was not welcome nor wanted despite our many, many offers. Yet, we found ways to try to help from afar. So for them to blame us for respecting their approach in their districts is laughable. Take some ownership. And she's absolutely correct about that. And this sounds redundant, but I have to point this out again because it's so absurd. As chair of the DCCC, you have one job and one job only. You get Democrats elected. You make sure that Democrats control the House of Representatives. And he was so bad at that job that he didn't even get himself elected. Now, why was this? His race was very winnable. Well, it's because of hubris. Now, before we dive into the article, I think that this headline from Slate sheds a lot of light as to why Sean Patrick Maloney, the chair of the DCCC, again, was defeated by a Republican. They write the inside story of Sean Patrick Maloney's faceplant in New York. Instead of taking his own race seriously, the DCCC chair snubbed grassroots support and went to Europe to court donors. And the article is going to explain how his Republican opponent did the opposite. The New York Democrat may have been running the National Party's most important campaign arm, but he had arguably the worst individual performance of any politician in his home state. Not only did he lose his race, but Congressional Democrats underperformed in New York more than in any other state in the country. While Maloney was across the pond, the Republican National Campaign Committee and Congressional Leadership Fund, Republicans' two largest campaign arms, were pouring big money into his race, over $10 million in independent expenditures, while attack ads blanketed the airwaves, Lawler and his team hit the ground shoring up support internal polling began to reflect his growing advantage Maloney dismissed the threat in an interview with ABC News stating repeatedly that Republicans were lighting money on fire but as it turns out you were the one lighting money on fire Sean Patrick Maloney and some of the facts in this article are genuinely shocking especially knowing that again this is the D triple C chair I have to keep restating that because it's so absurd so the uh chair of the Rockland County Working Families Party, they put him on their ballot and she's claiming that he never got in touch with them. You don't get in touch with one of the core grassroots organizations in New York. And on top of that, Indivisible, massive uh, progressive grassroots uh, organization. They have 400 chapters in New York and they claim that he made no effort to court their support it's just genuinely shocking so sean patrick maloney represents everything wrong with the democratic party and how they do nothing but listen to consultants to their own peril and the same is also true for the dnc but i don't think that the current dnc chair is nearly as uh arrogance and also ill-informed as sean patrick maloney you see you can't keep listening to conventional wisdom a lot of races that you abandoned could have been the Democratic parties, like they could control the House and the Senate. And again, at the time that I record this video, the House has not yet been called, but it's projected that Republicans will retake the House by just a couple of seats. So all Sean Patrick Maloney had to do was not mess up royally, but he did. He messed up in the worst way possible to where his own seat was lost and many winnable races across the country were lost. It's just truly insane to think about. And in Colorado's third congressional district, where Adam Frisch is just about a thousand votes behind Lauren Boebert the last time I checked, if he invested even a little bit into that race, that could have changed the result as well, even though that hasn't been called at the time that I record this video. There's so many close races that the DCCC refused to um, get involved in, and... It just went bad. So they're lucky that things went as well as they did for Democrats, thanks to Zoomers. But just seeing the potential there, the missed opportunities because of the arrogance, like folks who control the election campaign arm of the party, it's just really frustrating to watch. So let this be a lesson to Democrats going forward. Do not take races for granted and invest in races if you want to win. Over the weekend, we learned that Democrats will retain control of the Senate and they are only projected to narrowly lose the House. But at the time that I record this video, that hasn't yet been called. But even if we don't know the results of all of the House elections that took place on Tuesday, well, that didn't stop Marjorie Taylor Greene from conspiracy mongering about the election tweeting. Are we allowed to say, quote, slowly stolen election on Twitter now? Now I'm assuming she's asking this question to Elon Musk, even if she didn't at him because, Apparently you weren't allowed to talk about the election being stolen before he took over Twitter, even though that's what you did. So it's just really idiotic of her to do this and to answer her question. No, you can't unless you have any evidence. You can't just say things and proclaim them to be true if you have zero evidence to back up your claim. Just because it's taking long to count the votes, which is frustrating, I admit, doesn't mean that these elections are stolen. There's a plethora of races where the slow counts are going in the Republicans' direction. I mean, take Lauren Boebert's district in Colorado's third congressional district, for example, here. So she was currently losing, but as more votes are counted, she's gaining on Adam Frisch. And though we don't know the results of that election, it just kind of goes to show you that that alone should dismiss this idea that if the election count is slow that means that it's being rigged for Democrats. That's nonsensical. And I am sad to report that lots of Republicans across the country who are election deniers did indeed end up winning their races. But nevertheless, I've gotta say I'm pleasantly surprised by the behavior of many Republicans after this election, and I know that you're probably shocked to hear me say that, so let me repeat it. I am pleasantly surprised and happy to be proven wrong by election deniers, many election deniers, not all of them, but many, and I say that because I, as well as many others, were really anticipating a huge cluster F after this election was over, because if you have all of these Trump sycophants running for office claiming that the election was stolen, well, what's going to happen if they lose? Will they concede? Will we see many stop the steal shit shows across the country? And it turns out. That's not actually the case, and I've never been more happy to be proven wrong. So that tells us that all of these claims about election fraud was nothing more than bluster, nothing more than Republicans trying to please Daddy Trump so they can get his endorsement ahead of their elections. But ultimately, they're not claiming that the election was stolen. So it was stolen for Trump, but not for them. And this indicates that Republicans slowly but surely are beginning to move away from election denialism. Now, why is this? Well, first of all, it turns off independents who don't want to support a party that is attacking our democracy. Second of all, it suppresses the GOP base. So I want to share this now viral TikTok from a Republican who's going to explain why he's never voting again.
0: You know, in all reality, I don't have no reason to bitch anymore because uh, the other day I chose not to vote. And I'm never going to vote again anymore in the remainder of my lifetime, however that must be. main reason is because uh, back in 2020, as far as I'm concerned, I lost all faith in the integrity of the voting system. When my vote and your vote was basically stolen and the goddamn election was stolen as well by that damn asshole Biden. So you know what? I ain't voting no more. And now you got the GOP falling apart, falling apart crumbling like a goddamn avalanche. They don't even know what the hell they're doing anymore. They're just about as crooked as the goddamn den as far as I'm concerned. I ain't never going to vote again in my life. And you know what? I really don't give a shit.
3: Good. Please don't, Grandpa. In fact, tell all of your friends at bingo night not to vote as well. Because to me, I view this as a victory. Let the younger voters actually determine their future after you already ruined it for them. Um, Now, listen, I think it's pretty obvious that telling voters that their votes don't matter because the elections were rigged was probably not the best motivator but nonetheless it happened and it's evident to republicans who want a career in politics that they can't continue to champion this message if they want a future in politics because voters aren't going to support you if you tell them that elections don't matter and as a result some of the loudest election deniers this cycle who even wouldn't admit that they would concede ended up conceding quietly and they're not crying fraud as Politico reports, many of the nation's most outspoken 2020 election deniers are staying quiet or conceding defeat after their own election losses this cycle. One of the most notable examples is Matthew DiPerno, who was running to become Michigan's top law enforcement officer. Trump had taken an outsized interest in DePerno's race for attorney general and even held a fundraiser for him at his Mar-a-Lago resort. DePerno, who remains under investigation for allegedly tampering with voting machines, conceded to the current attorney general Dana Nessel after losing by nearly nine percentage points. Trump backed Tudor Dixon, who was vying for Michigan governor and had previously refused to commit to accepting the results of her race, also conceded her loss. So too did Tim Michaels, the Wisconsin election denier who claimed Republicans would never lose another election if he were elected governor. On Sunday, Pennsylvania gubernatorial candidate Doug Mastriano, who championed efforts to overturn Biden's 2020 victory in the state, also conceded. Other losing Republicans who spread conspiracies about the 2020 election, including Nevada Secretary of State nominee Jim Marchant, have yet to concede their losses, but they have not claimed that fraud or misconduct was responsible for their defeats. Now, that's just some examples, but there are many more. So what's happening? There's a couple of things that's happening. I alluded to the fact that they're realizing that this isn't a winning message for them. But second of all, what's happening is that you see this shift away from Donald Trump. Now, I don't necessarily know if the media, who's currently trying to goad the GOP's base into supporting DeSantis over Trump, is going to be successful in doing that. Early polling indicates that that is indeed at least somewhat successful or very successful, depending on the poll that you look at. But either way, if these Republicans want to run for Congress again, and they also simultaneously see that Trump may no longer be the standard bearer, then they don't have to toe the line anymore. They don't have to pretend as if the election was stolen. They can concede, go quietly into the night, and come back in a couple of years, just copying whatever DeSantis says now, using his talking points, assuming he is able to become the new GOP standard bearer. But regardless of why this is happening, I'm very pleasantly surprised to see this happening because this is very, very good for democracy. I was absolutely dreading this election and any other election, assuming that all of these election deniers would cry fraud, but they're not doing that. And that's that's really good. That's a really positive step. So I don't give Republicans credit very often, but I do give them credit for conceding here and being grown-ups. I know that I shouldn't have to give them credit for doing the bare minimum, but you've got to understand, folks, the bar is very low. It's below the floor at this point. So if they refuse to concede, that would be horrible, but they're not. So I, I've got to give them credit for not continuously attacking our democracy. Now, that's not to say that democracy is safe. Trump- could still run again. In fact, he will likely run again and he could win. On top of that, we still see Morby Harper with the Supreme Court that will determine whether or not they will empower state legislatures across the country to steal elections. But this is a very positive sign. Republicans are getting the message that voters do not accept election denialism and that it's toxic, not just to independents, but to your own base who feel demoralized and feel as if their votes don't matter. So even if individuals like Marjorie Taylor Greene are going to continue to fearmonger about the election, she can do that because she's in a plus like 150 percent GOP district. I'm being hyperbolic, of course, but like she's not going to lose her seat. But it may very well be the case that soon Marjorie Taylor Greene is not representative of the average GOP politician. And that's a really encouraging sign. Elon Musk's Twitter debacle continues to get worse, but somehow funnier simultaneously. And this has been very entertaining. And at first, I've got to admit, I was against Elon Musk purchasing Twitter, although I didn't necessarily care that much. But to see the way that things have unfolded and how it's been a complete disaster, I've got to say, I think that this was a good move for him, not financially or publicly, but just it was a good move just from my entertainment purposes. And so the only thing that he really seems to care about is recouping his losses after irresponsibly purchasing Twitter for much more than it's worth. And he wants to make back that money by essentially wooing back advertisers. The problem is that another thing that could hurt his revenue is failing to live up to the standards of regulators. And he's just now kind of openly sparring with senators who are going to be overseeing his platform for example senator ed markey tweeted a washington post reporter was able to create a verified account impersonating me i'm asking for answers from elon musk who is putting profits over people and his debt over stopping disinformation twitter must explain how this happened and how to prevent it from happening again so lawmakers have questions but elon musk responded to that saying perhaps it is because your real account sounds like a parody wow he then added and why does your profile pic have a mask so let's just pause for a moment there you have ed markey a u.s senator whose party is in control of the white house and the ftc and they have very serious questions and the response from the owner of twitter now elon musk is responding by essentially shitposting and and joking about it i mean look i've got to say it's entertaining but if i were elon musk i wouldn't act like a child in response to a united states senator who could ruin you. But this is how Ed Marquis responded because he didn't let this go. He tweeted in response, one of your companies is under an FTC consent decree. Auto safety watchdog NHTSA is investigating another for killing people. And you're spending your time picking fights online. Fix your companies or Congress will. Now, that is a threat by a U.S. senator. And he's just like, <laughs> LOL, you're wearing a mask in your profile pic. I just I, I I love this so much. Honestly, I love it so much. I hope that he continues to act like a buffoon because I want him to see that there is a finding out phase that comes after you F around. Um, now, the problem, and as Ed Markey alluded to, Twitter is under an FTC consent decree. Now, Elon Musk should, in theory, be doing everything in his power to keep the executives who are helping Twitter remain in compliance with said FTC decree. But the problem is that That's not happening. Now, as HuffPost reports, Twitter's new owner Elon Musk is further gutting the teams that battle misinformation on the social media platform as outsourced moderators learned over the weekend they were out of a job. Twitter and other big social media firms have relied heavily on contractors to track hate and enforce rules against harmful content. But many of those content watchdogs have now headed out the door. First, when Twitter fired much of its full-time workforce by email on November 4th, and now as it moves to eliminate an untold number of contract jobs. Content moderation expert Sarah Roberts, an associate professor at the University of California, Los Angeles, who worked as a staff researcher at Twitter earlier this year, said she believes at least 3,000 contract workers were fired Saturday night. So let me just take a moment to try to clarify how this demonstrates that Elon Musk has no clue what he's doing. So he's so desperate to make Twitter profitable and recoup some of his losses that he announced the mass layoffs on November 4th. That's what the article demonstrated, right? But you can't just lay off everyone and expect that the uh, money that you're saving on labor is going to be recouped because that's not necessarily the case. As you let go of the content moderation teams, advertisers might not want to come back to the platform because they don't want to put money into a platform that is accessible. But on top of that, if you let go of the people or you allow them to resign by not trying to aggressively poach them to stay, if you allow them to resign, and these folks are the individuals who keep you in compliance with the FTC, Well, then what's going to happen? I mean, I'm no expert, but this could lead to fines untold costs that he didn't anticipate. So by firing so many people, he could have cost himself more money when he was hoping to save on labor. Now, one example is Yoel Roth. This was the head of content moderation at Twitter. Now, on November 4th, Yoel Roth tried to reassure everyone, probably advertisers, namely, that even if the entire company saw 50% cuts about, well, the content moderation team only saw 15% of cuts. But the problem is, Joel Roth, who was arguably Musk's greatest asset, He resigned, along with other top executives, which could actually spell doom for the company. Now, as Rihanna Pefferkorn explains, in 2011, Twitter agreed to a 20-year FTC consent order over its data security practices. In May, FTC fined Twitter $150 million for violating the 2011 order and issued a modified order. If Twitter so much as sneezes, it has to do a privacy review beforehand. Per the order, a small team of senior executives is on the hook for making privacy and security decisions which are legally binding on the company, and a senior officer has to certify compliance with the order annually to the FTC. Dollars to Donuts, that small team mandated by the FTC order equals all the people who just quit. So here we are, they're violating the FTC order already. Twitter has a compliance notice due to the FTC today, 14 days after change of control." And so, if it seems to you like he doesn't care about the FTC decree, that's because, He seemingly doesn't, at least according to what his lawyers say. As The Verge reports, Musk's personal attorney tells people that Elon Musk puts rockets into space so he's not afraid of the FTC. So on one hand, he is desperate to save money and he wants to do that any way he possibly can, so he's cutting labor. But on another hand, fines from the FTC, assuming you're not in compliance and you get these fines, that's also going to cost you. But when it comes to that, he's like, eh. So, you know, billionaires, they usually care about profits only. But Elon Musk seemingly is more concerned about his tough guy persona, even more so than profits, which is interesting, but it kind of just demonstrates how big of a man baby he is. Now, Elon Musk isn't just pissing off regulators. He's continuing to scare off advertisers with his new verification program because that may have cost one pharmaceutical company billions. So a parody account for Eli Lilly tweeted that we are excited to announce insulin is free now. And that single tweet sparked panic across the company with executives scrambling to contact higher ups at Twitter, as the Washington Post reports. And that single tweet may have led to a 4.5% drop in Eli Lilly's stock. And as Eric Failed ding reports, Eli Lilly executives are raging and furious at losing $20 billion in market cap from this stunt with Twitter Blue. It's too bad they don't see their own damn insulin price gouging as the actual problem. Karma, Lillypad, Karma. So not only was the rollout of Twitter Blue a hilarious mess, but it cost a greedy pharmaceutical giant potentially billions of dollars if it is the case that that drop in their stock is correlated with that fake tweet, and it may have scared away uh, Twitter's advertisers even more. I mean, the story just keeps getting better. So ironically, I like watching the train wreck that is now Twitter, but at the same time, I'm probably going to be sad if it does go the way of the Dodo just because inadvertently, Elon Musk made Twitter better just by running it like a complete buffoon and giving us something to be entertained by. So I guess that we have to thank him for that, at least. But certainly I'm going to watch this uh, train wreck until it's over. But uh, certainly it doesn't look good for Elon Musk and it keeps getting worse. And I will continue to report on this shit show because I think it's absolutely thoroughly entertaining.
0: Any Republican who would sign on to that should be Exiled from the party
2: if you vote in favor of the idea that society has an obligation to recognize male male or female female Dyads in the same way that society has an obligation to recognize male female You should not be in the Republican Party You shouldn't
3: You just got a little bit of a taste of right-wing theocrats throwing hissy fits over news that the Senate has found enough GOP votes to overcome a filibuster and vote to protect same-sex marriages in the event the Supreme Court votes to overturn Obergefell v. Hodges. Now, we'll get to what they have to say in full later on, but first, let's get to some of the details here. As HuffPost reports, the Senate is expected to vote this week on legislation to codify same-sex marriage, and more importantly, the bill has enough GOP support to pass, HuffPost has learned. Quote, We have the votes, a source close to negotiations confirmed Monday. And because the Senate plans to take the House bill and simply amend it versus senators introducing an entirely new bill, the House only has to vote to accept the changes to their bill versus starting the process over again. So this is good news for sure. It is a little bit frustrating to me that Tammy Baldwin, who's been basically the one in charge of trying to get votes for this bill and get it passed, she allowed Republicans to kind of hide their position and let them not vote on this before the election because they were too afraid to make their positions known. So now that the election is over, they're ready to state their true feelings. And that's a little bit embarrassing, but nonetheless, it is still a positive development. But let's be clear about what this bill is. It doesn't, in actuality, codify Obergefell v. Hodges, contrary to popular belief, but it is still good. Now, CNN's Manu Raju actually tweeted out the specifics here, and he goes over a lot. But what I want to direct your attention to is the key things here that it does. First, it legally repeals DOMA by requiring the federal government to recognize same sex marriages in states where they're performed. So remember that DOMA actually prevented the federal government from recognizing state same sex marriages until that is it was struck down by the Supreme Court in 2013. Now, the second thing that it does is it guarantees full faith and credit to all marriages, same sex, interracial, etc. But, and this is key, in the event the Supreme Court struck down Obergefell v. Hodges, this bill wouldn't actually require states to issue marriage licenses. Rather, those states would just be obligated to recognize marriages from other states. Now, it's a little bit confusing, so let me just try to clarify here. So imagine the Supreme Court voted to strike down Obergefell v. Hodges, meaning that states once again can ban same sex marriages. So this bill doesn't prevent them from doing that. They can ban same sex marriages in that instance. However, those states even if they ban same-sex marriages have to recognize those same-sex marriages from other states so if you live in Mississippi and they strike down marriage equality you can simply go to a different state get married come back and have your state recognize your marriage so it's still deeply bigoted and unconstitutional because this is an additional hurdle that you're not subjecting straight people to having said that though in the event Obergefell were to be struck down there is still this protection for same sex couples, they would still be able to be married. They just have to go to a different state. And it's sad that it's come to that. And this is basically them watering down this bill to get Republicans on board but it's better than a pre-Obergfell America, right? So in the event Republicans wanted to take us all the way back to a pre-Obergfell America, they'd have to strike down this law first and then strike down Obergfell. But in the event that that did uh, happen, well, at least there's some protection. It's still just really gross that same-sex couples would have to jump through hoops to get married. It's, it's, it is what it is, but again, it's a positive step in the right direction. Now, who are the Republicans who are supporting this? Well, we don't actually know yet. We know Susan Collins, Rob Portman, and Tom Tillis are going to vote for this, but we don't know the other Republicans. And Mitch McConnell is stating that he will vote, and that's when you're going to know. So in other words, they're kind of holding their cards close to their chest here. But I do want to get to the responses from Matt Walsh and uh, Ben Shapiro, because they are very angry that there's enough Republican votes to uh, codify marriage equality, or at least protect same-sex marriages in the event of is overturned. And uh, they're kind of making some threats to Republicans. And they're saying, if you support this, you should not be in the party. If you don't keep my antiquated bullshit, bigoted views, then uh, you can't be in my party. So let's listen to Ben Shapiro first. So
2: with the Democrats taking the Senate, they are now going to move ahead with a vote on a gay marriage bill. Now, what is the purpose of a gay marriage bill? There is no purpose to a gay marriage bill. Obergfell has already been ruled upon. And a simple gay marriage bill is not even a constitutional amendment. So it's not even above and beyond the Supreme Court ruling. The Supreme Court ruling is still the law. If the Supreme Court ruling were overturned, a quick majority in the Senate could quickly overturn this law. But the idea here is that you're going to get all the Republicans on record as to whether they support or do not support same-sex marriage. Now, let me just put this out there for the Republican senators. If you vote in favor of the idea that society has an obligation to recognize male-male or female-female dyads in the same way that society has an obligation to recognize male-female, you should not be in the Republican Party. You shouldn't. Okay. the reason I say this is not because I wish to shrink the size of the Republican Party. Because if the fundamental basis of human society is male-female child, and you think that by passing a law you can change that reality, you do not belong in government. This is a very simple proposition. Men and men are not the same as a man and a woman are capable of becoming one flesh and producing a child. This is not difficult stuff. Many Republicans will be tempted to vote for this simply to avoid the conflict so that people don't yell at them. Oh, my gosh, you're not respecting love is love. Now, first of all, the love is love argument was always bullcrap.
3: Look, I've just got to say this. Ben, you look like a bozo, bro, and you get no pussy, and you can't even make your wife wet, bro. So what's good? So anyways, now that that's out of the way, had to get it out of my system. Um, Ben Shapiro says that the love is love argument is crap. And essentially, you know, marriage is about having children. Except if that were true, then we wouldn't allow couples who were infertile the privilege of getting married. So these arguments are so old. These are pre-2010 arguments, and they're just not persuasive anymore. Society has moved on. We've had marriage equality in this country now, for the last seven years and people realize that it's not actually a threat to heterosexual marriages. So there's no reason a logical and reasonable person should be against this unless they're a bigot and they think that gay people are inferior and shouldn't have the same rights as heterosexual couples. And that's what Ben Shapiro is essentially saying here. And he says that there's no purpose of a gay marriage bill Obergfell's already been ruled on. He's being purposefully obtuse because he's pretending as if there's no threat to marriage equality, even though Clarence Thomas in the Dobbs decision said that we should revisit these cases. And he specifically named Obergfell v. Hodges. So Republicans are doing this. Ted Cruz did the same thing where they're pretending as if voting to, uh, you know, uh, protect same-sex marriages is unnecessary because it's unfathomable to think that the supreme court would overturn Obergefell v Hodges that's kind of their way of dodging so they're not pissing off their evangelical base so if they say they support it then evangelicals aren't going to be happy with them but if they just dodge and say well i don't have to support this because it's not going to happen then they kind of get to ride the fence but we see you we know that you're bullshitting we know that you're just too afraid to state your position we know that you know that this is a non-issue and anyone who thinks that gay people should not have the same rights, they're just clowns at this point. Um, He also said, if you vote for this, you should not be in the Republican Party. That's a really good way of saying I would rather lose than move on and grow with society. I mean, imagine if the Republican Party never adapted and never got on board with interracial marriages. I mean, there's certainly enough GOP voters that think that it shouldn't be a thing. But imagine if the GOP never adapted to that. This is somebody who thinks that the Republican Party should continue to lose in perpetuity just so that way they can continue to own same sex couples and not allow them equal rights. Well, I think that the GOP senators who are voting for this are savvy. Because, I mean, regardless of how they feel personally about same sex marriages, and again, I don't think you're a reasonable person if you're against it, but regardless of how they feel, they understand that to be a bigot is turning off independence and extremism in this last election blew up in your faces. So are you going to continue to hold strong and and try to dig your feet in or are you going to grow with the times, you know, do what society wants you to do? Well, Ben Shapiro doesn't want them to do that, but too bad now Matt Walsh kind of said the same thing as Ben Shapiro but regardless let's listen
0: obviously if you do this it is to begin with it's not just this but it is also to begin with um, a threat to an attack on religious liberty that's where it ultimately leads because if you're codifying on a federal level that two men have a, a right to get married that's a, a human right a civil right, then that would mean by, by extension that uh, you know, that a, a church that refuses to marry a gay couple is depriving them of their basic human civil rights. They may not be putting that language in the bill exactly because they want it to pass. But that's what it means. And that's how it will be used, no matter what the bill says. And I'll tell you this, that, you know, any Republican... Who would sign on to a bill like this? I don't care if they have this weak—you know—they've created this Trojan horse now, where they're pretending that they're protecting religious liberty. Doesn't matter. Any Republican who would sign on to that should be exiled from the party. It won't happen because this is the direction the whole party is going. But that's what should happen. You know, you are these—these are Republicans who are signing on to something that only 10 years ago would have would have been too radically far left for even the farthest left people in the Democrat Party.
3: It must be so frustrating to see society leave you and your antiquated way of thinking behind. Cope and seethe, Matt Walsh. So he says that this is an attack on religious liberty, simply, uh, simply giving gay couples the right to equal marriage protection under the law is an attack on religious liberty somehow. We've had gay marriages and religion didn't implode in this country. It's going down. But that trend was consistent before marriage equality became a thing. So, I mean, you have no reason to be against it unless you're a hateful bigot, and we know that Matt Walsh is one of the biggest hate mongers in the country. Uh, But he wants to make it seem as if in the event this law is passed, then religious liberty will go the way of the dodo because if a church doesn't want to marry same-sex couples, then they're going to, uh, I guess, be banned from existing. First of all, the law explicitly says that churches can be bigots they don't have to marry same-sex couples and that's where i disagree with this law i actually think that if you are a church and you offer marriages then you should be required by law To offer marriages to same-sex couples and interracial couples as well in the year 2022 i don't think that churches should be allowed to keep their tax-exempt status if they say sorry we're only going to marry uh white couples no interracial couples allowed like can you imagine letting that fly in 2022 but yet this is effectively what they're arguing for they want states or they they want uh, churches To be able to keep their tax-exempt status in states and be able to explicitly discriminate and the law is giving them that privilege to do something like that but yet they're still not happy they're still claiming it's going to destroy religious liberty well it hasn't been destroyed yet and you're still talking your shit. so it seems like marriage equality isn't really a threat to you has your marriage been affected matt walsh aside from your wife probably being very dissatisfied with you I i mean it hasn't right so shut up and stop fear mongering. Uh, he also says here that any Republican who signs on to this should be exiled from the party, but it won't happen because this is the direction the whole party is going. And ask yourself, Matt Walsh, why do you think that is? It's because you lost and society has moved on. Let's look at the poll again from Gallup. Seventy one percent of Americans support marriage equality. You've lost. The overwhelming majority of Americans think that same sex couples should have the same rights as heterosexual couples and good this shows that most americans are actually reasonable and that gives me a little bit of hope now what you can still try to do is create a little bit of residual bigotry based on homophobia you can claim that perhaps gay teachers are a threat to students because they want to groom them and trans people are a threat to students because they're going to turn everyone trans but for the most part when it comes to the issue of marriage equality that's solved and you've lost son so it's time to move on. But I love how he acknowledges that the Republican Party, because they want to win, probably has to abandon this issue because even people like Joe Rogan, who's a bigot when it comes to trans issues, is right on the issue of marriage equality. So even bigots who aren't allies to the LGBTQ plus community acknowledge that this issue is an issue that they don't agree with the GOP on. But people like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh want to keep the GOP in this homophobic era, era where they just explicitly deny them equal protection under the law when it comes to marriage rights and that's just not going to fly anymore so that's why you're losing and that's why the republican party is slowly but surely too slowly in my opinion moving away from this bigoted position so you can continue to cry but it's not going to change the fact that society is leaving you behind and you can either adapt or not
1: What more visit humanistreport.com for links to our full catalog of videos on YouTube, Means TV, and Facebook. You can also find audio versions of the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, and other major podcast platforms. And before you go, consider supporting the show on Patreon or through YouTube memberships. You get early access to most videos, invites to monthly live chats with Mike, and you'll be thanked by name at the start of the next episode. There are other ways to support the show. You can like, subscribe, turn on notifications, and share our content on social media. Thank you for watching.